the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you listen closely today, you heard some hymns that you don't normally hear, which are for one of the 12 great feasts, the meeting of the Lord in the temple. We just celebrated this feast on Tuesday. This is as was the Jewish tradition and as now is the Christian tradition till this day. On the 40th day after a child's birth, the child is brought into the church. And so Christ was brought to the temple. And St. Simeon said his famous words, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And on this feast, we see Christ's great humility in following the law of our Lord, following his own law, and being a child brought to the temple. This light of revelation, this light which is Christ himself coming into the world, this is what we really need these days. We could use more light in the world because there's so much darkness around us. The world desperately needs our light, the light of Christ. What we also heard today was this startling gospel reading, the parable of the talents, a parable about the kingdom of God and about salvation. And this parable is startling to us because we hear exactly what happens to that wicked servant, about how he goes into the outer of darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gospel, the, the parable is hard for us to comprehend. There's some things in it that, are, that we can bring out, but some that need a little bit more description or guidance. So I'll describe that a little bit. We have this master who goes to a faraway land, and he entrusts to his three servants five talents, two talents, and one talent. And the two servants who he calls good and faithful are those who then took the talents and multiplied them because they knew he was a man who would expect that. Meanwhile, the one servant, he went and buried it in the ground. And we hear from him, he says, I know that you are an austere man, and so I went and hid it in the ground. We might think that, oh, he's afraid, and that's why he did it. He even says something to that effect. But what we see is he was actually lazy in making an excuse. Because the, the master even says as much. He says, you know that I was like this. Why didn't you at least give it to the bank? And so his true intentions were exposed. He was being lazy with the thing that had been entrusted to him. A huge amount of money, by the way. What we learn from this parable are a few things. We learn that salvation is the same for all. Whether we're given five talents or two talents or one talent or 10,000 talents. Salvation is the same for all. He says, enter into the joy of your master. The exact same words to both of the servants. We also learn that the master gives something and that something is to be done with what is given. We also realize that the results are in relation to what is given. As our Lord says in another place, to whom more has been given, more will be required. So if we have been given more, then more is what we should be producing out of what we have been given. And lastly, what we learn is that those who are like the master receive his reward. 
And this is the most important lesson of this parable. Those who are like the master receive his reward, and those who are not like the master do not receive his reward. Because we could ask, what is this parable ultimately about? Because there are many aspects of the parable that are a little bit questionable. And things where if we had tried to apply them to God, we would run into the wrong place. Like it says that the, the master was going on a journey to a faraway place, and so he entrusted them with things. So we could think, well, God is up there, and he's given us the things we're supposed to do, and we just go and do those things. And we have to be good with the things we've been given. But God's journey is a journey into our very heart. He's not going far away. He's doing the opposite. He's entering deeply into us, so deeply that he took on flesh so that he could take on all of human nature so that he could be with us. So he's not like the master in the parable in that respect. He's with us. He's in us. He's encouraging us in our conscience. He's strengthening our will. Another thing about it is that God is, in fact, doing the work. This master has entrusted them, and he goes away, and they have to do all the work. In our spiritual lives, it does feel like a lot of work, but in fact, our effort is our desire. And what results from our desire is what God multiplies in us, what God grants us. So it's God that is doing all the labor. But the most startling thing that's different in this parable is God does not want us to be servants. He doesn't want us as servants. He wants us as his own sons and daughters. So when we read this parable, it's not like some of those parables, like the, the parable of the prodigal son, where everything we could interpret and deeply interpret. In parables like this, we have to be careful with what we read. So we ask, what is this parable for? Ultimately, it is to teach us that we must be like the master. We must be like the master. That was the quality of these good servants. Now that master, he wanted more money, he wanted different things. Our master has very different desires. But it is in our similarity to him, that is what brings about our salvation. So in this parable, we learn that as we are like Christ, we enter into eternal life. We experience eternal life even in this life here on earth. When Christ was on earth, his presence, just his presence, was a light into the world. As St. John says in his gospel, he says, the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Our Lord is one who brings light. This is what this feast of the meeting of the Lord teaches us, among many other things. As it says in the Apolitikion that we just sang earlier today, Rejoice, for, O virgin Theotokos, for from you has risen the Son of Righteousness, Christ our God, enlightening those in darkness. He is the one who enlightens those in darkness. And this is what we are to become. Because you see, while Christ was walking upon this earth, he was the light in the world. He was the one who was saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the incarnation of the kingdom of heaven. But now that he has had his death and his resurrection, he's no longer walking this earth. So how is the light of Christ shining upon the earth? Through you. Through you. You are the light of the world. This is what our Lord said while he was still walking upon this earth. 
because the great beauty of what our Lord has inaugurated with his resurrection is now he is available everywhere. He has brought his body and blood to us by the Holy Spirit. So we become partakers of his body and blood, and thus we become little Christs. That's what a Christian is, a little Christ. And so this great mystery of God's salvation for all of mankind is that the one God-man who walked upon the earth now is everywhere upon the earth. His body and his blood is spread upon the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are the ones who are to be walking upon this earth as Christ. It's a very high calling indeed, but we are the light of the world. And this world desperately needs light. So our final question is, how do we become light? How do we become like those good and faithful servants, the ones who are like their master? Well, we can turn to the epistle for this. St. Paul describes many of the things that he has endured, many of the qualities that he and the apostles have taken on. And he begins this long passage by saying, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in any, every way. And then he goes on to list all of these things. And within these, we could pull out four different qualities of what it is to be a Christian. First, there is single-mindedness through adversity. He starts by listing off all these things through great endurance, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, tumults. And all of these things, the Apostle Paul and those who are faithful to Christ, they have their eyes entirely on Christ. They're not shaken by the struggles and the calamities of the world. They're focused on Christ. So that single-mindedness is what we see in what St. Paul describes. Next is that it is essential that we live the ascetical life, that we live a life of cutting off the self-will. He says in here, in this translation that's not very good, it says labors, watchings, and hunger. That word watchings is nistias, fasts. I'm sorry, the, the word hunger is fast, nistias. And the word watching is agripnias, vigils. So what St. Paul is actually saying, labors, vigils, and fasts. Translation doesn't get that very well. Fasting, prayer, constant turning to God, our ascetical labors, the ways in which we deny ourselves so that the will of God can inhabit us and so that we can enact the will of God rather than our own broken wills. So laboring ascetically is the second one. The third is seeking qualities of God and strength from him. Because St. Paul continues, he says, in purity, in knowledge, in forbearance, in kindness, the in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in truthful speech, in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness. So we can't do this on our own. Our ascetical labors will not bring us there. We have to be pursuing God in all of these things. We're not just doing the labors, the fasts, and the prayers because we're supposed to, but because we desire union with God. And so St. Paul describes all these ways of having union with God, these qualities of God, like patience or forbearance, like kindness, like genuine love, truthful speech. How often we turn away from truthful speech and instead speak lies. 
The final and the fourth is the hardest, I might say. It's the willingness to be foolish. This is how the epistle ends today. It says, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We must be foolish, as I've said in a homily recently. We must be foolish in the eyes of the world to be wise in God. So if these things that are describing St. Paul about being treated as impostors and yet true, about being punished and yet not killed, being sorrowful and yet actually rejoicing, all of these ways and these dichotomies are qualities of our own life, then we're following that path towards Christ. So how do we become lights in this darkened world? These four ways, as we see in the epistle, single-mindedness through adversity, that we keep our focus upon Christ, that we are laboring ascetically, that we are pursuing Christ's qualities and strength from God, and finally, that we are willing to be fools for Christ. In this way, the light of Christ will shine upon the earth. His great mystery of spreading himself upon the entire earth has already occurred. It's up to us to enact that. We can receive the body and blood of Christ and go away not as Christians to our own condemnation. Or we can receive the body and blood of Christ and become the bearers of Christ himself, the true body of Christ and the light in this world. Amen. Let us all say with our whole song, with our whole mind, let us say. Yeah, song. Lord Almighty God of our fathers, we pray to you. 